So we are on the journey in this time of Lent, on this, the second Sunday of Lent. The leader resource says, quote, Lent is that 40-day season when the church commemorates the 40 days that Jesus spent in solitude, in silence, and fasting in the wilderness. This time was Jesus' season of preparation before beginning his ministry. The biblical story, goes on to say, is full of times of 40 days. Every year, Christ's followers are encouraged to embark on their own 40-day journey into this darker season as a way of preparing to receive and share more fully in the contrasting resurrection light of Easter Sunday. End of quote. What the authors of this resource, writers of this resource, discovered was the story of God, God being the author, inviting the people of God into a grand story. Inviting the people of God into a grand story. So each Sunday during Lent, you will notice that the entire theme refers to living ink. And each Sunday has this, during the Lenten time, has something to do with writing. And so this Sunday, the title of my sermon is Light in Dark Text. Light in the Midst of the Dark Text. My first pastorate, and for a total of 12 years, I served as pastor of the Stanton Mennonite Church in Stanton, Virginia, and concurrently with that, I also taught science at the local junior high school in the city of Stanton. And at one point, as the intensity of that experience and doing both jobs, carrying out both responsibilities, I became aware that a sabbatical would be a good idea, and I negotiated with the church council of the congregation to be gone for a three-month sabbatical. And then, as after that was approved, it was time to prepare, well, what were we going to do now for this summer, for that three months' time? It was early in the year, and we were discussing this. What will we do to provide a break, to provide a break from that kind of intensity? And as the days wore on, three different people separately mentioned to us from various parts of the from the various parts of the country that we should consider attending Narramore Christian Foundation located in Rosemead, California, that they have a seminar for ministers and missionaries. So when the third person mentioned to us that we should consider that possibility, we received this as a word from the Lord that perhaps we should really pay attention to this and should uh, consider that possibility. So I contacted the foundation. We filled out the application. 
and uh, sent it in the mail. And I sent it very carefully by U.S. mail. Certainly those were the days before what we have today. It was, those were the days uh, before email. And so I couldn't just do all that by email, but had to use what we now refer to as snail mail. So when they received the application, Naramore responded that the seminar was filled and that our names, that uh, names of Anna and I would be placed on a, on a waiting list. But not to worry, because usually persons who sign up, if something comes up after they're registered for that, that experience, that seminar, and that we would then be contacted because they would be unable to, to attend the seminar. So, what were we to do? This key piece of our summer, this three-week Naramore training experience that we were planning for, uh, was now seemed uh, squashed. We did not have plans to do that. And I will pick up the story later in my sermon. At this time, we'll look at the scripture in Genesis 15, 1 to 12, and that will be on the screen, uh, and uh, Joyce Fry will read that for us, Genesis 15, 1 to 12. Read with me, Genesis 15, 1 through 12, God's covenant with Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram, Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, for a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dark, a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, three chapters prior to this one, in chapter twelve, Abram and his family were called to leave his father's house. Were called to go from 
from where they were and to go to a place that God would show him where to go. So God promised Abraham that that he would have many descendants and that a great nation would come from him. And you may want to take notes or fill in in the blanks from this. uh, uh, You can uh, fill in the blanks that are on your bulletin, on the inside of your bulletin, where it says message notes. And these are the first two answers. Many descendants and a great nation would come from him. And in fact, in verse 4 of chapter 12, it it informs us that indeed Abraham did what God asked him to do, that he did leave his father's house, that he did leave his father's family and go where God was, was calling him to go to the land of Canaan. But in this chapter, three chapters later, in chapter 15, there is a big problem. Even though Abraham was promised many offspring, Abraham and Sarah remained childless. And so the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And he's told in verse 1 that his reward will be great. And we see later in this chapter, in chapter 15, the reward for him would be, and his descendants, would be the land, the land that was given to his uh, descendants. And so once again in this chapter, God reassures Abraham that God indeed has not forgotten about him. That even though he remains childless, that even though Sarah is barren, that indeed God has not forgotten. But Abraham complained to God. He was told this. He wanted to, He was reassured by God that God has not forgotten. And but yet Abraham complained. Perhaps he would complain. Perhaps we would complain also if we felt that God indeed had forgotten us, and that God has was not doing anything to deliver on the divine promise. And in the Near East, it was the practice of adopting one of the servants as an heir if the family, if the man, had no son. And so the adopted son, the the servant who would now be the adopted son, would take care of the older person, the older couple, in in their senior years of age, and then this adopted person would, would be the heir, would, would have the inheritance upon the passing of the older couple. And at this point in his life, Abraham suggests to God, that's, that's what will happen. My, my servant Eliezer will be my adopted son because he does not have an heir. At that point, God responds with a direct reassurance, and God says that Abraham's servant will not, surely will not be your heir. Instead, the promised son will be the one that comes from the cells of your own body. It will not be this adopted son, uh, your, the servant who is adopted. 
In his vision, Abraham is called to go outside and to look at the stars. And as the patriarch looked at the stars, God informed him that his descendants on the earth would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He was told to count them if he could, to look at all the stars and to realize that one day, from his own body, the descendants of Abraham would be as multitudinous as the stars in the sky. Walter Brueggemann says, and I quote, the multitude of stars is received by Abraham as a sign of the power of God in his life, end of quote. It's interesting to reflect on the journey of Abraham from protest to faith. In verses 2 and 3, he says to God, for I continue to be childless. He stated that emphatically. In other words, he was saying to God, did you forget about me? Did you forget what you had promised? Because we are a childless couple. But then, by verse 6, and just a few verses later, he moves from this protest to faith in verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. The stars in the sky were assigned to Abraham in the same way that the miracles of Jesus were assigned to the people in his day. After turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana, John reports in John 2.11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Many, like Abraham, came to faith and belief due to the signs. Because of the miraculous signs, John reports in 2.23, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. So in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, the other three Gospels are known as the Synoptic Gospels, John takes a very different tact. And John reports the many signs that Jesus did. And here, turning the water into wine was one of those. And here, this is like the sign that was given to Abraham. Go out and look at the stars. And Abraham suggested or accepted this as a sign from God. So Abraham was in trouble. He was given a promise, but it seemed that God had forgotten to deliver on the promise, that God had forgotten about him. We also, like Abraham, experience difficulty. We experience the darkness. And in the verse 12 of this passage says that a deep darkness came upon Abraham. We too experience darkness in our lives. We experience the dark text pages of our lives. Sometimes 
We can have the best laid plans. We can have the future all laid out as to how it should happen, how we want it to go. And we can have it all figured out. And yet, sometimes those best laid plans come to naught. When I was the conference minister, I related to a pastor of a small, struggling congregation in an urban area, but they still had only about 30 people or so in the, in the congregation. And the pastor was working nights as a respiratory therapist at the hospital. That was his, his profession. And he and his wife were working tirelessly, were working very hard in paying off the mortgage of their home. He was working hard also in the church and at work as a respiratory therapist. And due to the years of stress and overwork, he began to have some warning signs in his body that things really were not working out as well as they were anticipating and as they were hoping. And we, too, like Abraham, may complain to God. Perhaps things aren't working out for us. Might be the loss of a job. It might be a health, our health, other physical limitations. Or we might be experiencing and walking through the journey of the loss of a dear one, a loved one. So that is when we, like Abraham, look at the signs given to us and we count the stars or attempt to count the stars to know that indeed God has not forgotten, that indeed God has not abandoned us. We go out and count the stars to know that God is present with us even as we experience the dark texts of our lives. Verse 6 of this chapter says, And he believed the Lord. And he believed the Lord. This is a very, very simple phrase, a simple declarative statement indicating the movement of Abraham, as I touched on earlier, the movement of Abraham from protest to faith. Abraham is no longer railing and complaining about the fact that they are childless. He's no longer complaining about the timing of the Lord. He's not getting impatient. It simply says, the scripture simply says in verse 6, and he believed the Lord. Abraham is now placed, we might say, in the category of Jesus, where when Jesus was baptized, God, the heavens opened and God spoke, and God said, with him I am well pleased. Again, quoting Walter Brueggemann, the text announces afresh what it means to be the human creatures we were created to be. That is... To be righteous, it means to trust God's future and to live assured of that future 
even in the deathly present, end of quote. Walter Brueggemann, I've discovered, has some profound ways of saying uh, some of these truths. And so Walter Brueggemann says, we are assured of that future even in the deathly present. Abraham stood before God as a righteous person. As a righteous person, not on the good works that Abraham had done, but the fact that Abraham trusted God, that Abraham had faith in God, and not by any works of righteousness. This faith relationship that Abraham had with God lay at the very heart of Abraham's religious faith experience. The statement in the first part of verse 6, and he believed the Lord, contains a summary of the ingredients of Abraham's faith. It was a belief. It was a belief that God is the one who can be trusted. That God is the one who will not lie and will not change his mind. Let's uh, have that one on the screen. It was the belief that God is the one It was a belief that God is the one who can be trusted, that God is the one who will not lie and will not change his mind. Abraham was constant in his faith, first as he set out from Ur, and then as, a, as he believed that God indeed would give him descendants. Abraham's faith was a trust in the omnipotent one, that God is all-powerful. The Apostle Paul commends this faith of Abraham in Romans 4, 20 and 21. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. The writer to the Hebrews points out Abraham's wholehearted faith and trust in God. That when Abraham took Isaac and was ready to offer Isaac to the Lord, the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews eleven nineteen, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. That faith, or this faith, had its corollary in Abraham's submission, humility, and obedience in the presence of the Lord. So another story, another story back in Genesis 17, where Abraham fell on his faith in a posture of humility and obedience. And when Abraham interceded for the city of Sodom, he submitted himself to the will of God. Again, another example of Abraham's faith in God. And he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? When he was pleading and bargaining with God, well, God, if you find so many, so many righteous, and came down from one after the other. 
And finally, he says, I'm leaving it up to you, God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right or do what is just? The faith of Abraham involved a friendship with God, that Abraham was a friend of God. But the English translation of the word, of the Hebrew word here for friend, does not do it justice. Because the Hebrew word has the idea of the beloved of God. So Abraham was God's beloved, a friend of God, the beloved of God. And Abraham's faith is foreshadowing the time of Christ and the nature of the promises of God. The writer, again, looking at the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 11.10, where the writer says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So we see that Abraham understood about the dwelling in Canaan for his descendants, but also that God will prepare a place in heaven, not just a place here in Canaan on this earth, but a place in heaven for the people of faith. And Abraham's faith and Abraham's walk with God meant the exclusion of the other gods. Abraham, in contrast to the other people of that time, to many of the people, Abraham was a monotheist. He served only and worshipped only one God, not polytheism. We, too, are called to walk in trust as sisters and brothers as we count the stars. We know and proclaim that God is faithful. We know and proclaim that God is among us as we experience the dark places of our lives. We will see the light in the dark text experiences of our lives. We will know and experience, even like Abraham, that God is faithful, that God keeps God's promises, and that God has not, God has not abandoned us, even in the darkness. And even though deep darkness settled upon Abraham, Now, you waited patiently for the rest of the story about our sabbatical. We needed to drive, as part of that sabbatical, we needed to drive from Virginia, where we were living at the time, to Illinois, where we had arranged for family and friends in Illinois to keep our three children. And therefore, we had tickets to fly from Champaign, Illinois, to California. In those days, also, if the tickets weren't used, you could turn them in for, for a refund. Of course, that's different in today's time. Prior to our leaving, uh, in our traveling from Virginia by car or by truck to, uh, to Illinois, I called Naramore again, and again they uh, indicated that there was still no room, and I understood that we were like third place on the list of the, uh, of the uh, waiting list. And I explained to them 
that we were leaving Virginia and I gave them the home phone number of my in-laws so that we could be reached by them, by Naramores. So we had car trouble and we were delayed in traveling from Virginia to, to Illinois and uh, I was ready to, to just throw in the towel and not really uh, worry about, I was thinking that we would not be able to go. But, um, but to, I was ready to give up and to change our plans and even if we got to Illinois a bit later. But Anna wanted to be sure that we would keep the door open and that in case the door opened for us to go, that we would be at the right place at the right time. <clears throat> and shortly after we arrived, we had checked when we arrived that whether there was any phone call from California for us, and they indicated that there was not. But as we were standing there in the kitchen of my uh, mother and father-in-law, we were talking, and we received a phone call indicating that indeed there was a cancellation and they asked whether we could come. And Anna and I at that point looked at each other and decided that indeed we could uh, come to California and uh, we were given this word 12 hours before the plane departed the next morning. God's timing is not our timetable. God is with us. And I've copied these on points just for the end of my sermon. That God is with us in the midst of the uncertainties of our lives. Look at the stars of the heavens and be assured that God is faithful. Look at the stars of the heavens and be assured that God has not forgotten. Look at the stars of the heavens and be assured that God's timetable is different from our timetable. See the light. See the light in the dark text of our lives. Look at the stars and know for sure, like Abraham, that God is present as we take the Lenten journey. Amen. May it be so. We'll share in a closing song.